So hello and welcome to Start Over on Seven Podcast. My name is Sumit Patel and in today's episode I'm joined by Dave Wagner. Uh Dave has more than 4 decades of experience in building an independent, critically and commercially acclaimed pet supply brand called Dave's Pet Food. Uh Dave Pets Food offers high quality healthy pet food for dogs and cats. Uh Dave also serves on a board on National Retail Federation and Retail Advertising and Marketing Association. Uh Dave has also represented the voice of small business owners before both houses of Congress. and continues to work to elevate retail industry he's also an author of a book called make your customers love you so much that they will never go any place else uh dave the amount of experience which you have and the list of things you're involved in it's truly remarkable and it's an honor to have you on the podcast yeah cuz you know i'm very important <laughs> <laughs> this is a very this is my first this is my first podcast i just got to tell you Wow. <laughs> But David, right. it's super right. super thankful for your time and it's great to have you on the podcast. Well, thank you. Thank you for that nice introduction. Thank you, Dave. So, would love to know I know I gave pretty descriptive introduction, but would love to know a bit more about you and your your background as well. Okay. So, uh uh I will start by uh saying that for all you people that uh are not great students or were not great students, uh I flunked out of college. and uh you don't have to be a genius in college to be <clears throat> mildly successful um but when i got out of college my father was a distributor for a a very small brand of soda and i had no idea what i was going to do for a living and my father said i will loan you this was 1975 my father loaned me $5000 to open up a store selling all different brands of soda, Coke, Pepsi, Hires, Rupier, all different brands of soda and I started selling them out of a an abandoned abandoned gas station, Three Bay gas station in Hadley, Massachusetts, which is where Smith College, Mount Holyoke, UMass, all these colleges are. And uh so I started my business And then um I was having trouble meeting women. So this is very important for all the guys work listening. So I bought a puppy. <laughs> And a puppy is the best chick magnet you could ever have in the history of the world. So I bought a puppy, Bentley Beagle, and I used to bring Bentley to work with me every day. And and uh I walked into the grocery store to buy Bentley dog food one day and I said, you can hear my dog by the way. I said, "Holy smokes, there's more pet food in here." then there is soda and i went back to my little three bay gas station and called alpo in nine lives and went into the pet food business and as the years went on the beverage business went down the so the uh, pet food business increased and as the years went on i would open you know i opened a couple more stores and eventually we got up to seven stores and i'll tell you um uh, the things that i learned by doing this i i learned that a customer focused business can beat the big guys every time so we did everything i still do today everything revolves around the customer and and if you're running if you're starting a new business if you're running a business 
and you're up against a typical, not a typical, but a company that's being run by the COO, uh, you have a huge advantage because they don't understand the value of the customer. So what we did in our business is I, I built trust. Um, I, for, most of you probably have a dog or a cat, and I don't have to tell you that you love your dog or cat more than you love certainly your significant other, um, <laughs> definitely more than your kids. Maybe not your grandchildren. Your grandchildren is a tie, but certainly more than any anybody else. And my customers trusted me so much that if I told them this is the food you should use, that's the food they use. And I learned very early on that my job was to build trust and never, ever break that trust. That's the huge deal where companies screw up is they break the trust. So maybe in the mid 80s, um, when our business was, was uh, uh, pretty good, I heard about this company called Walmart that was, you know, starting to open stores, didn't know much about them, but, but by the nineties, I knew that they were coming to my area. They sold things for less than I paid for stuff. And I knew that I had to get brands that, that people could only buy for me. So here, here's two things that I, that I, that I always use. For any of you who sell for a living, this is a great tip, which I learned from somebody. If you want somebody to do something, say to them, do me a favor and try this. No yeah. one can say no. You can't say no. Do me a favor, try this. That's number one. Number two, this is, this is the secret of how I built my business. Anything that I sold was 100% money back guarantee. Well, I took all the risk away from doing business with me, mm -hmm. period, end of story. And the fact is, when you're in the retail business or most businesses, the vendor, the vendor would back you up anyway, so it doesn't cost you any money. Mm -hmm. But if you think about it, what makes a good customer experience is not when you have a great experience somewhere. It's when you have a bad experience somewhere and they make it right. Okay. Okay. Right. Mm -hmm. That's, that's what sticks in your mind. Holy smokes. I bought this or I had a lousy meal or I did this. I did that. I complained and oh my God, they fixed it and they went overboard to make it right. People tell their friends, mm -hmm. you gain their trust. You know, I, I, I always like to use, I always like to copy L.L. Bean. You buy something from L.L. Bean, they like dare you to send it back, right? Up until recently, it was unconditional. You could have a pair of boots that you wore for 50 years, come up and say they wore out, send it back. We'll give you a new one. So I, I learned very early on that, that's how to build trust with my customers. Mm -hmm. I also learned, since this is marketing, mm -hmm. not to do a lot of mass advertising. And okay. I did very targeted 
ads. Mm-hmm. And whenever I did an ad, I tried to solve a problem. So my okay. the best ad I ever did was, does your dog have gas? <laughs> okay. Okay. Right. You'll remember that one, right? For immediate relief by Dave's Dave, simply the best dog food. Can I tell you something? I used that ad for probably that little saying for 20 years. Wow. Wherever I go, we're in Western Massachusetts. Wherever I go, I hear someone in a crowd yell out, hey, Dave, my husband has gas or my dog <laughs> has gas or my wife. You know, it, it stuck. But it was marketing that sets you apart. No one wants to listen to or watch a dumb, stupid ad that doesn't say anything. True. So, right? It's true. Mm-hmm. And and I learned that, you know, when email came around, people, mm-hmm. you know, people said, um, you know, email marketing doesn't work. And that, that's nonsense. Mm-hmm. Email true. marketing works if the subject line has something of interest to the, to the person you're sending it to. Mm-hmm. Right? Does, for example... This, and this is this was just stuff that we used to do. We were one of the first people, especially small businesses. We were one of the first people to have a database. <coughs> Excuse me. No worries. So we scanned everything you bought. Mm-hmm. And then we knew that if you were a cat owner, you didn't care that dog food was on sale. True. So we targeted, mm-hmm. you're a cat owner. We only sent you cat stuff for cats. You're a dog owner. We only sent you stuff for dogs. So our, our marketing was, was um, uh, you know, pretty targeted. I didn't waste a lot of money on it. Mm-hmm. And then I always tried to stand out and always tried to do things that nobody else did just to get um, noticed. Mm-hmm. So I used to sell in, I had three stores in the mid 90s. I hadn't opened up all seven of them yet. And I used to sell pallets of a certain brand of dog food that I got a phone call one day. The dog food was being discontinued. Here's another lesson. Mm -hmm. You, you have to take risks and you have to be a detective. And sometimes you have to get out of your comfort zone to keep your business afloat. So it, it took me, I don't know how long I found out who actually made that food. Mm -hmm. I called them. And I said, I'd like to have that food in my label. And they oh. said, absolutely, we can do that. Okay. Right. But you have to meet the minimum quantities. Mm-hmm. I had three stores. I couldn't meet the minimum quantities. Mm-hmm. I called some of my friends in the business and I said, uh, guys, if I got this food, would you want it? And they said, absolutely. Okay. So, so I was able to sort of, not get a buying group, but I was able to get enough other store owners to say, we'll take it. So I was able to get that food, which became Dave's pet food. Okay. Okay. So I was able to get Dave's pet food going really to have a private label for my own stores. Mm-hmm. Again, when your customers trust you, they'll buy anything you tell them to buy. So Dave's pet food became the biggest selling food and I sell every kind of pet food known to man. Okay. But Dave's was the biggest seller because I said it was great food at a reasonable price. 
So as the years went on, mm -hmm. we started adding more SKUs. Mm -hmm. um, and how I did it was, um, I did it differently than most brands do it. Because I was a retailer, I knew what questions or what products my customers wanted. I knew what problems that I could solve. So we came out with more and more SKUs. And today we have about, I don't know, 100 SKUs. We're okay. in about 3,500 3, brick and mortar stores across the country, independent pet stores. And we sell Chewy and we sell, sell Amazon. Um, it's a much easier business than the retail business. I, I, uh, which I just sold my retail stores. I'm, I'm now out of the retail business. Okay. And okay. I just have the wholesale business, which now has the biggest challenges that I've ever seen in my life with product shortages, transportation issues, mm -hmm. all the logistics stuff that are going on to, um, to COVID. Mm -hmm. I don't know who our listeners are, <clears throat> but I will tell you a couple of things, a couple of tips that I learned if you're, um, you know, trying to start your own business um, or, or if you're run a smaller business because big guys just can't do this. So that's one of the, that's one of the reasons why it makes it easier to, um, uh, you know, to compete with bigger guys is, Always try and find the customer's pain point and then try and try and cure the pain point. So I, I, I have a very good friend who was in the food service business. Mm -hmm. His business was delivering food to restaurants and hotels. He competed with the biggest companies in the country like Cisco and U.S. Food and all those guys. And he went to a very fancy hotel in Boston, which he was trying to get into, and, and they just didn't want to switch um, suppliers. Okay. And, and Joey, my mm -hmm. friend, said to him, what's, what's the biggest, what's your pain point about doing business with, they, with them? Mm -hmm. They said their trucks, this is unbelievable, their trucks can't get under the cover to our loading dock. So it's okay. a pain in the neck to okay. unload their trucks. Mm -hmm. So Joey goes out, rents a truck with a lower height. Okay. <laughs> Says to him, I can fix that. <laughs> Guess what? Gets the business. Great. Wasn't it about price? Mm -hmm. Right? It was not, it was just what pain point can I take away from you? True. So when you're in selling when when you're uh, you know looking for clients wh whatever you're doing mm -hmm. solve a problem absolutely that's, that's the biggest thing mm -hmm. and here's my you you're very much younger than i am yes <laughs> i don't know if you i don't know if your mother told you this when you were growing up mm -hmm. always always write handwritten thank you notes to okay. people mm -hmm. Not emails, not computer generated. Mm -hmm. For everyone who's listening out there, is there ever an envelope that shows up at your place that's handwritten that you don't open up? Nope. Right? You do. 
Yes. You, you open them up. So mm -hmm. always write handwritten notes. Mm -hmm. Another tip. Mm -hmm. Always be nice to the little people because the little people are the people who get you into the big people. True. So it's a, first of all, it's a nice thing to do, but always be nice to the little people. So I have to share the story with you. I'm going to, I'm going to name drop for a minute. Okay. So the coolest thing professionally that ever happened to me is I got put on the board of the national retail federation. Mm -hmm. So my fellow board members are the CEO of Macy's, you know, home shopping network, target, um, Walmart, uh, tractor supply, all the big retailers, Neiman Marcus, Saks, everybody, and me, right? So at one of our, at the national event before COVID, a few years ago, Colin Powell was the speaker. Okay. So I've met a lot of, I've met a lot of powerful guys. He, he was, he was, I think the only person I've ever met that that I was like, I, I'm in, this is a great person that I'm standing next to. Mm -hmm. But anyway, <clears throat> he told a great story. At the White House, evidently there is a parking lot underneath the White House. So think about it. Everybody who works at the White House, you go to the White House every day, you've got all these cars waiting and everyone goes to leave at five o'clock. I think they all have time clocks. They punch out and they go home at uh, five o'clock. So he's standing there with, with a few of the other people who work at the White House, and they say to him, your car is always the first car to come out. We have to stand here waiting, you know, to get our cars for sometimes an eternity. Why is your car always the first car? You know what his answer was? I'm always nice to the garage attendants. Wow. Okay. Right. Classic. Right. No arrogance. Do not have an ego. You know, just be nice. Excuse me. <laughs> so I, I have, you know, been really, really fortunate to to um, <clears throat> have great mentors. And and to learn um, the not secrets, but how to outmaneuver mm -hmm. the big guys. And it really all comes to relationships. Mm -hmm. And some businesses are harder than others. You know, if you just, you're selling commodities or whatever. But when you're a small guy, like you're, you know, you're trying, you're trying to start a new business or a guy like me and I'm up against, you know, Purina or Blue Buffalo or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's, it's me. It's it's building the relationship. True, true. You know how how Dave's pet food has grown mm -hmm. is I answer consumer emails at night from you know crazy cat owners, crazy cat ladies mm -hmm. who want to call saying why is the consistency different from this can to the next one or whatever. Mm -hmm. I do an email. Hi, this is Dave. Blah blah blah, and they are blown away that the owner of the company takes the time to answer them. I don't answer all of them. I have a great person in the office, but I answer some of them. Mm -hmm. and, and speak. I'm sounding like I'm preaching here, but this is how I've been successful. If the phone 
is your point of contact to customers or potential customers. Another knucklehead saying, but it's so true. You can hear a person smiling on the telephone. True, true. Yep. If you have the kind of business that a first contact might be a phone call, you better have a superstar on the phone answering the phone. Right? You don't want someone calling and you have the state vegetable answering the phone. <laughs> right? Or someone who doesn't know how to smile. True. You need a superstar mm -hmm. answering that phone. Absolutely. Right. Here's another, another thing. I mm -hmm. When you make a mistake, <coughs> when there's a problem with your product and it happens, we all make mistakes. There's always problems. When you say, I'm sorry to someone, because mm -hmm. that's what they want to hear and how you can make it right, never use the word, but. Okay. okay. Have you ever heard someone say, I'm sorry, but? Yes, I've heard it a lot of times. <laughs> right? It absolutely takes away the I'm sorry part, because yes. they're really arguing with you. That's true. Yeah. Right. So when you have that, you know, when you have that situation, it's, I'm sorry. And he, here's, here's uh, another one. When you, customers want to know that you understand. So that thing called empathy really, really works. Mm -hmm. And how I used to train, um, try and train my employees who worked at Dave's. And I had 160 employees. And I will tell you, I had the best, I had the best crew in my seven stores in the history of the world. Okay. And I was, forgive me, I was the biggest pain in the ass to work for. If you didn't understand how to be, if you didn't have that mental, I need to be nice to my customers. I don't sell anything they can't get anywhere else. If you didn't understand that concept, you could not work at Dave's, period, end of the story. And I was brutal. I, I would give my people, everybody screws up. I'd give them, you know, okay, you screwed up. Here's how we fix it. But if you didn't get the concept, after the first time you screwed, you were gone. Just you were gone. But here's what I here's what I learned. When there is an issue, if you say to the customer, I want everyone to write this down. When you because there's going to be a quiz on this later. Okay. I'm sorry there was a screw up. What do you want me to do to make it right? So that does two things. It lowers the blood pressure of the angry customer, right? You didn't say, but you didn't say anything. All you said was, geez, I'm sorry. There's a screw up. What can I do to make it right? Mm -hmm. And this is the funny part. 99% of the time, the customer will want you to do way less than you would have offered to say, okay. how about if I do this? Okay. Okay. 99, I guarantee. You. And for those of you with employees, you need, and you, you can, uh, you can email me at Dave at davespetfood.com and let me know if you do this. You need to empower your employees to solve customer problems on the spot. Period. End of story. 
So all my employees, you know, I'm talking like I had a giant company. I had a tiny company. I had seven, seven stores, right? Petco or PetSmart has thousands of stores. The, every employee from the person that, that came in to stock shelves was empowered to solve a customer problem. Because what when I talk about what makes a great customer experience, I, would, I happen to be in the retail business, you know, a customer walks in and they have a problem. Well, I have to wait till the manager gets back. Sure. Well, the manager's at lunch mm-hmm. or the manager's day off. I can't fix the problem. The customer doesn't want to hear that. The customer, my cashiers, mm-hmm. you know, my, back then, my $10 an hour cashiers, they had the authority that when a customer walked in and said there was it, solve the problem. Wow. Okay. And I net, this is the other key because mm-hmm. otherwise it's BS. I never, ever, ever came down on a, on a customer because they went overboard giving the customer something. Okay. okay. So people would say to me, how do you run your business like that? You go bankrupt. You don't go bankrupt. It doesn't happen that, that much. If your employees are trained to say to the customer, what do you want me to do? Most customers don't abuse, don't abuse you. Right? And... This is so important in today's age when we can't get good employees. You're building a culture with your employees that this is a wonderful place to work. So Dave's became the the store of choice to work at. Okay. Right? (laughs) I understood how hard, I don't know if anyone who's listening has ever cashiered or waited on tables or serve the that's like 20 times harder than brain surgery. Right? I, I mean, it's hard. Excuse me. No problem. So I've been rambling on. You have any you have any questions, by the way? Yes, absolutely. I think uh, you talked about customer service a lot. Uh, yep. Dave, and I think one thing which is common between you and Sam Walton is Sam Walton said in his book that there is only one boss and it's the customer. And, you know, uh, right. he can fire everyone in the company. So I think that is something which you both share in common with um, yep. each other. Yep. Although I got to tell you, mm-hmm. during COVID, we actually had to fire customers. Okay. And and I fired customers mm-hmm. <clears throat> who abused us. And I especially fired company customers who abused any of my employees. Okay. Mm-hmm. So good. that's... Yeah. So I agree with Sam 90, 99% of the time, but there is, there does come that time. Okay. But you mentioned about the competition that you had with yep. Walmart, Dave. Yep. How did you went about it uh, in, in the early days? How did I go about it? Yes. So I would go into Walmart mm-hmm. and um, what I did is I would notice that let's take uh, something like Fancy Feast, cat food. Mm-hmm. So you go into Walmart and they would have seven flavors of Fancy Feast. Okay. I would have 25 flavors. Okay. <laughs> so I would have way more. I would have a much bigger selection mm-hmm. than they did. Okay. Okay. As far as price matching, mm-hmm. I, I actually did price match. If someone came in and said, um, in the early days, you know, Walmart is 
is uh, we would match their regular price. We wouldn't match their sale price. <coughs> and sometimes, depending on the customer, mm -hmm. 90% of the time we would price match. But if it was a cherry picker who only came in when something was on sale, I, I would just tell them to go buy it at Walmart. Okay. Here's a great Walmart story. Mm -hmm. Here's a great Walmart story. The customer would, would come in. And this would happen upon occasion. Again, we, we had 25 flavors. They would have seven flavors. Mm -hmm. A customer would come in and say, uh, Walmart's got it on sale for 50 cents. You're 53 cents. And, and um, I want five cases of tuna and chicken. Okay. And I, and I know I would know they don't carry tuna and chicken. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say, I'm not going to match the price. So they would say, well, I'm going to go buy it at Walmart. So I would say, well, go buy it, buy it at Walmart. Well, they would say, well, Walmart doesn't have it. Okay. okay. So my, you know what my smart ass remark was? Well, when we don't have it, we're 49 cents. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, but Dave, coming to packaging, you know, uh, it's something which really helps you in standing out from the competitors and it really helps you to you know get that customer to you know try the product out uh, would love to more would love to know more about the packaging and uh, how has it evolved over time or the current packaging is this the same one which we had from the day we started no no the the packaging um, that's a great question because packaging sells right mm -hmm. <clears throat> so packaging has evolved greatly over time um, and we're just going through another uh, uh, evolution of packaging and I, I have made a couple of colossal mistakes mm -hmm. uh, I, don't, I don't have to tell you when you buy labels for uh, so here's a colossal mistake I made mm -hmm. so we came out with a line of a family of, of cat food that I thought was going to be a home run. It was all all meat based. There was no fish in it. Mm -hmm. A lot of cat owners don't want to feed fish because of the mercury and the poison and fish to their cats. Okay. So we called it Cats Meow. Mm -hmm. We had a company run ten different flavors. You have to buy twenty five hundred cases of each flavor, so it's hundreds of thousands of dollars for your initial okay. run. Okay. Okay. Plus, you have to buy the labels, and when you buy these little labels, you you have to buy hundreds of thousands of labels at a time for them to mm -hmm. run them. Mm -hmm. They came out. The, the food was terrible. Okay. It came out. It was very dry. The manufacturer mm -hmm. did, did a lousy job making it. Cats mm -hmm. wouldn't eat it. Okay. So I ended up, I'll use the word eating mm -hmm. thousands and thousands of cases that actually just we, we threw away because I didn't want it on the marketplace. And here's, here's where I screwed up. Mm -hmm. We switched manufacturers. And instead of me changing the name of the product, I just updated the graphics and kept the name the same. Okay. Okay. So now, even though the food is great, it's palatable, everything else, customers wouldn't buy it because they already bought the old label. True. They so they had that experience. Yeah. True. true. Right. So I screwed up twice. Okay. Okay. So uh, this is going to sound very sexist. Mm -hmm. I always like to have women look at the labels now 
um, <laughs> okay. because women are just so much better than men at this. Okay. Okay. And plus, especially for me, women are women are are the pet food buyers. Eighty percent of the time, women are the ones who are walking in the aisles. So before okay. you do it, yeah, before you do anything, mm-hmm. you know, have a panel of your consumers or whoever's going to buy it. Mm-hmm. Look at it. Sure. I think it's really important to really test the product out before you know buying. Oh, the no question. Mm-hmm. No question. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 mm-hmm. uh, you know, and our business is regulated, so there's certain you know there's certain words you can say and certain words you can't say. You can't say low carbs. You can't say low fat. You can't do this. You can't do that. Okay. And you really in your packaging, you really have to be honest. Um, and if you're selling, I'm not going to say solution based mm-hmm. things, mm-hmm. but you know, what is the pain point that you're trying to? You know, who, who are you trying to, um, who do you want to buy your product and make that point stand out really clearly? True. And here's, a, here's one other thing, mm-hmm. which you're probably 20 years away. If you're dealing with customers, you know, who are over 50 or 60, we can't see anymore. Make sure, make sure your print is big enough. We can read the freaking label. That's a valid point, Dave. <laughs> right? It's true. Yep. Absolutely. Yep. But Dave, uh, you have seven stores now. You had seven stores now, but would love to know more about the first store which you built. Uh, what are some of the challenges which you had? And just would love to get some insights into that. So um, there were tons of challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I didn't have <clears throat> I didn't have a lot of money to do okay. things. Mm-hmm. So I fortunately I lived at home with my parents. Um, I, I worked in the store, you know, I was there for a year before I even had my first employee. Okay. I was there every day from nine in the morning until nine at night, mm-hmm. uh, six days, six days a week I worked. And then the challenges are, um, it's always money. Mm-hmm. So and when you're starting a business, I don't care what it is. If you think you need X amount of money, make sure you have X times two because you always underestimate. Humans are optimists. And and we always forget that Murphy's Law is right around the corner and always comes to visit us. Okay. So you always have to have more money than than you think you need. Mm -hmm. The the next part of the challenges was trying to buy on an an even keel with the bigger guys. So that was that, you know, again, Walmart and Target and Petco and PetSmart, they're paying less for stuff than, you know, they're selling it sometimes for less than I'm buying it because I have to go through a distributor. Mm -hmm. So this is how I got around a lot of that. So they're buying it from, you know, they're buying it direct. They're bypassing distributors. But a lot of the brands that I sold, Mm The local reps hated those guys as much as I did because they lost commission on every bag that Petco or PetSmart would sell. Interesting. Okay. So they would try and come in and whatever marketing money or wherever they could scrape up coupons or whatever, mm-hmm. they, they would um, try and give to me so that I could sell at the same price as them. And here's a fabulous lesson. Mm-hmm. This, this is... 
always, always, always be incredibly nice to your vendors. Okay. Okay. Think about this. <laughs> if a vendor of yours has some extra money, is that vendor going to give it to the customer that's always uh, pounding them? Nope. Or is it going or is he going to give it, he or she going to give it to the customer that's really nice to them and tries to work with you? Either one. Yes. You get it. <laughs> give your vendors, you know, give your vendors Christmas presents or, or whatever. Be really, really nice to your vendors. And this, I also learned this, your marketing guy. I always took really good care of my marketing reps. Okay. The, the folks from the radio and the TV stations, you know, traditionally they come in and give their clients gifts. Mm -hmm. I would always buy them gifts. Okay. Okay. You know why? Mm -hmm. Well, when they had extra time that they didn't sell, guess who got extra spots? You've got it. <laughs> I got them. Yep. Right. 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 So those, I think, though, and then as I started to grow, um, you know, HR was was very very challenging with all you know all the new laws they would they would enact. Um, we never had issues getting people to work for us, but just abiding by all the laws and and all that kind of stuff, um, and providing health insurance that was as good, if not better, than big guys. You know, going starting a business is it's hard. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. David, one of the major events which happened in the last two years is COVID. I'm pretty sure it, it really was. We, don't, we didn't get that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was a major challenge across industries, David, and uh, retail industry was majorly impacted by it. A lot of brands moved into more D2C, selling online in comparison to retail yep. stores. How did you guys navigate COVID-19? And is there a shift in between the retail versus D2C where you guys are you guys more focused on D2C yeah. at this point of time than previous? Right. So uh, COVID was a huge challenge to us. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> I think in the last two years, uh, we just couldn't get product. We literally couldn't get product. I don't think in two years we shipped more than 60% of our weekly POs. That's okay. how bad we were. Mm -hmm. I prioritized my brick and mortars getting um, the product over Chewy and Amazon. Mm -hmm. The obviously everybody knows the real growth is is e-commerce. True. I I have stayed away from direct to consumer selling because here's another issue with being a small guy. I cannot ship a for, a a uh, case of dog food for free. It, it, there's the shipping costs more than the profit that I would make on the case of food. So we do it all, we do it all through Chewy, Chewy and, and Amazon. Okay. Okay. And, and I know that the real growth mm -hmm. is, is with, you know, it's with Chewy and Amazon. It's just, it's unbelievable. True. True. So uh, this is just, uh, and everybody knows this, this is a challenge. Mm -hmm. We get a lot of our um, canned cat food from Thailand. It's where Chicken of the Sea and Starkist Tuna has their factories. Okay, okay. So it's not from US. And some, okay. 
Yeah, and somebody had a brainstorm. Well, with the tuna, we don't put in the people food. Let's make cat food. Okay. So okay. that that's where the cat food. Mm-hmm. To get a 40-foot container, which carries 3,000 cases of cat food pre-COVID from Thailand to New Jersey was about five or $6,000. It's okay. now $28,000. Wow. That's more than thrice, Dave. I, so we obviously have to go up, but we couldn't even go up the amount to cover we just, you know, we're taking, uh, and as are many brands, mm-hmm. we're, we're, we're just getting clobbered with uh, freight costs. Okay. okay. It's very challenging. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, I don't know where your, your, um, the bulk of your listeners are. I don't, are, are they from all over the world? Yes, majorly those are from US only. Yep. Okay. So when you walk into your grocery store, and you see there's no tuna fish, there's there's no cat, there's no cat food, there's a lot of canned goods, there's a lot of this out. Companies just refuse to, uh, they can't bring this stuff in because no one's going to pay for uh, the price. True. It's crazy what's going on. Mm-hmm. So I, I think, because uh, I'm an expert in economics, you know, mm-hmm. that the Federal Reserve doesn't even need to raise interest rates to, to slow the economy. All these, all these price increases are going to slow it because customers just aren't going to be able to afford to buy this stuff. True, true. Right. Yep. Dave, uh, you serve on the National Retail Advertising and Marketing Association as well. One of the major so, changes. No. So that sort of got folded into the National Retail Federation. Okay. All right. Okay. So it's the same uh, organization. Yeah. Yep. All right. Okay. Yep. So one of the major yep. change on the digital side happened was the third-party cookie deprecation. I'm sure you might be aware of it. And uh, we're essentially not able to retarget users, You know, not able to track their activity because of the privacy issues which they had. Uh, how has the yep. association and how is the advertisers reacting to this one? And just would love to know your point of view on it. So that's... That um, part of the National Retail Federation, you know, what they do is they're really lobbyists, and that's a huge concern, especially in California, mm-hmm. with these new privacy laws. And I don't, I don't think anything is resolved. Um, and I think all this kind of stuff got put on the back burner with COVID. But if you if you take this to the extreme, what I've read is like you won't be able to have any airline miles or you won't be able to have frequent buyer car. I mean, um, I think it's insane. How I really ran my whole retail business was using customer data, which by the end you had to opt in about 18 different times for us to be able to send you, you know, cat food because you use cat food. So it's it's a huge issue, and I have no idea how this is going to be, get resolved. But for everyone in marketing, it's a big issue. It's a real challenge. It is a real challenge. Yep. And again, I, I think it's sort of on the back burner until we get through these other, uh, you know, little things that are going on in the world. Absolutely. But Dave, uh, this was a super interesting conversation and I am really glad that you know we really touched on several different topics. 
if you have to give one final advice to entrepreneurs out there what would that be yep. um fine here's my final advice <clears throat> have someone have an advice have advisors and have advisors who have no skin in the game advising okay. don't ask advice from someone who's got either a partner or someone just ask for advice from people who have been in a similar business to you mm-hmm. that have no skin in the game that's that's number 1 number 2 before you even think about starting your business make sure you have way more money than you think you need okay that's that's the two biggest things absolutely with that div uh, again it was honored to have you on the podcast thank you it's a pleasure uh, to be here yep super super thankful for your time thank you so much for being okay thank you bye everybody i'll just pause the recording